6: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Financial Heresy, where we talk about how money works so that you can make more, keep more and give more. Today, I have uh, a guest that I am probably the most excited uh, about Since this podcast started, we're looking at an inside look of what it looks like to live through hyperinflation. And um, this is a guest that I've spoken about a few times on my YouTube channel, uh, but I've never had uh, had him on for a direct interview. So very excited yeah, Luke, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And uh, let's, uh, let's start off with your story. Where are you? Um, and um, what was
7: it like when you first got there? Sure. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it, man. It's an honor to be here uh, on your podcast uh, as well. Uh, so living in the Middle East, in Lebanon, uh, with my family. We've been there for almost three years now. And it has been a wild three years, as I know a lot of parts of the world have been wild with COVID. Lebanon, in particular, where we live, has been especially wild because the country has been going through economic crisis, uh, in addition to many other things uh, over the last three years, where, as you mentioned, hyperinflation, uh, which has led to a lot of other things that have been going wrong in the country. All right. And so you got there... Fall 2020.
6: Fall of 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was... The height of
7: COVID yeah. is oh, when yeah. you moved there, masks and... the entire flights, uh, <laughs> transatlantic flights, not fun, especially yeah. when your four-year-old daughter is being lambasted <laughs> by the flight attendant to keep putting her mask back on. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that uh, that sounds rough. Um,
6: and so they they were they were experiencing some troubles there in Lebanon before you got
7: there. Yeah, that's kind of when everything really started to accelerate, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Brief history, Lebanon's been kind of a, uh, people call it the Paris of the Middle East over the last couple of decades. Uh, It's been a a safe haven for a lot of financial things because they've tried to build their economy, as I understand it, uh, off of people investing money in the banking system in the country, Hmm. promising exorbitant amounts of interest uh, to try to recruit money to come to this country. And then Lebanese people uh, have been living high, living really good job, making good salaries, uh, just really living as princes and princesses uh, off of their their salaries compared to a lot of other Middle Eastern countries that were starting Hmm. to suffer over the last couple of decades. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of it was built uh, on like a, a Ponzi scheme type thing. Ponzi scheme, uh, yeah. yeah. that eventually started to crumble in about 2019. Towards the end of it, the revolution started, and that was in October of 2019. And that's when the, the government was already starting to see that uh, things were not going so well, and so started to try to make some pivots and things like that, uh, and the people weren't having it. And so mm-hmm. they went to the streets, and that's when the, the wheels kind of fell off of the uh, currency and... Um, yeah, historic, over the last 20 plus years, the Lebanese lira, uh, which is their currency, was pegged to the U.S. dollar. It was pegged at 1,500 um, of lira, which was like, one bill is like 1,000, so the smallest bill. So 1,500, one half of those equaled one U.S. dollar. Uh, so that was in October 2019, it started to shift and slide. And so a year later, when we arrived, it was at 7,500 the day after we arrived, I exchanged at 7,500 to to the dollar, which is a crazy decline if you think about it. Um, Today, it's at 93,000 to the dollar. (laughs) Oh man,
6: that's just in a couple of years. So that's just, I mean, for for people who don't do a lot of currency exchanging or a lot of traveling, um, it's basically like, you know, in in, relative to their money, the dollar hasn't lost much of its value, or relative, it's like it hasn't lost any. So imagine you're buying something um, and and uh, it takes you, it used to take you $1 to get it, now it takes you $93 to get it. Yeah, basically. So if you were gonna buy a house, it went from 100,000 to 9.3
7: million. There you go, yep. I, I was trying to explain it to some kids the other day of like, let's say you could buy a, a candy bar for a dollar, now it takes $93 to buy that same candy bar because your your bank account number hasn't changed. Yeah. It's not like as the currency was sliding, uh, they would they would yeah. keep your bank account number going up and up. No, the bank account of the lira stayed the yeah. same. It's <laughs> just the buying power just yeah. was dissolving over those last couple of years. Yeah.
6: An old used Toyota Corolla goes from $10,000 to $93,000. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. No, $1,000 more, more than that. Yep. $1,000 to $93,000. Yeah. Man. So it'd be, if it was 10,000, it'd go to $930,000. $930, yeah. So, oh my gosh, that's crazy. It's, it's like mind boggling, especially like here in the States or even in like the, the UK, they've got, you know, historically high inflation for, you know, for the UK and the US since like the seventies. And, uh, but in comparison, it's like our prices in comparison haven't changed. Yeah. Um, and that's what hyperinflation is actually, is actually like, it's like, so there, there's like basically
7: every day prices are changing, right? Yeah, it's it's stabilized a little bit more these days. Okay. Uh, at this, you know, crazy terrible amount. Yeah. And but uh, there was a, a stretch there where I was nervous to exchange more than I don't know fifty dollars at a time because the 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 peaks, you know, the the shifts uh, were pretty wild. It would kind of go a little bit at a time. But then when a significant uh, event would happen in the country, it would go from 15 to 30 hmm. or it'd go from 30 to 50 hmm. or it'd go. The worst stretch was, uh, man, six months ago or so when it went from 50 to 140, like Jeez. in a couple of days. And then it, it like reversed back down to about 100 and hovered around 100 and slowly been chipping away down to 93. Uh, but I don't think anyone's under the illusion that it's going to go back to 1,500. Yeah. 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 Yeah um okay so i want to kind
6: of go through this in a little bit of a chronological order if we sure. can i know we'll have to skip around a little bit but yeah. um so when you first got there was when things were really starting to kind of unravel mm-hmm. um it, it's it's interesting to me that you talk about how it but prior to what was it, october 2019 uh yes was when okay so prior to that people were living like high luxurious lifestyles. Locals, you know, were buying like I I think you said at one point, like driving Mercedes and Gucci handbags and like everybody was living a rich lifestyle. And so a year later everybody's in like poverty and the country's collapsing, but they still have (laughs) some of these like expensive luxuries, right? Yeah.
7: Well the the so I saw a video describing kind of some of the situation. It was like someone on a teacher's salary could buy a house and own two cars Mm. in Lebanon. Which, if you're any teachers listening to this podcast, you know it's probably not the case here in the U.S. Uh, on a teacher's yeah. salary, but yeah. in Lebanon that was kind of like the, uh, a picture of how people were living uh, mm-hmm. back then. Uh, now, teachers, as of recently, are making as little as five, six hundred dollars a month. Uh, mm. I mean, that's that's and that's like people who are doing well wow. uh, nowadays. Um, and so, I think the the tragic part about this is that the the thing to, to to slowly adjust is the salaries of people. You know, prices are adjusting yeah. for commodities, but people's salaries are slow to adjust if they even adjust at all. Uh, people are really slow to, to employers have been slow to you know increase yeah. the salaries of their employees. Um, However, the people who are unscathed are those who have been working for companies outside of Lebanon and getting Mm. paid in dollars. Those are the people that still. And so one of the most confounding things as a a foreigner living in Lebanon is is watching, seeing all the hungry, poor people on the streets. And then also seeing these high, super nice malls Mm. that sell things at, sell imported goods at twice or three times the price that you could get them here in the States. And people still buy them because people still there are still a, a rich demographic in Lebanon yeah. uh, and it's just it's mind-boggling to see that that disparity yes. and that that gap yeah yeah there there's really a, a, maybe it'll come back eventually but there's not really a middle class in yeah Lebanon. It's, it's the haves and the have-nots
6: yeah yeah that's uh the, so the, the people with the the South sal- obviously the ones who are getting paid in dollars mm-hmm. you know they're not a they're not Uh, as much affected. Although their lifestyles, I'm sure living in Lebanon are, you know, we'll get into that, like, you know, how some of the other things change. But um, I would imagine, you can tell me if this is correct or not. I would imagine that the people working for the government have, would have the slowest salary adjustments because they're still trying to pretend that the lira is worth the old value before the exchange rate reaches, you know, the the parallel market versus people who are surviving solely based off of like they're a solopreneur, like they're just buying and selling things and they're like trading goods under the table black market that they'd be able to change their prices immediately as needed. Is that that accurate or, or no?
7: Well, uh... I probably shouldn't get into oh, all okay. who, uh, <laughs> sure. you know, who is responsible for this crisis and you know, all that kind of stuff. That wouldn't uh, uh, be wise on my part to do uh-huh. that. Uh, you can research it yourself if you want, different opinions about who's responsible. But certain government employees have been fine. Um, and other people <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> are the ones who are suffering, uh, lower okay. level, uh, sure. different government employees and all that. Um, yeah, and I'd say yes, in, in a lot of ways, it's the, the public service people who have mm-hmm. been getting uh, the the shaft in a lot of ways because they, uh, at one point, uh, a couple of, of months ago, there were, I think, five different official or unofficial exchange rates. Wow. Uh, so there was the the still locked in 1,500 rate at the bank. As of five months ago, that still existed? Uh, I, I don't know if it was exactly five months ago, but it was it was recent, okay. like maybe within wow. the last year. Yeah. And then they had a second rate that was like 8,000, and then they had a third rate that was about 20,000. Hmm. And then there were uh, like two kind of parallel market rates as well. Parallel market would mean like kind of uh, like black, black market? Okay. Yeah, kind of like the black market. Okay. But is it illegal weird. or? Well, it's weird in Lebanon to call it the black market because uh-huh. uh, I actually don't know the legality of it, but you can go into a store without being worried and exchange sure, at okay. this parallel market rate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so that it, it, there's like an official, par- unofficial mm-hmm. official parallel market rate that all of the money exchangers would have mm-hmm. around the same rate. Um, so that's why I, I don't know the legality of it, but it's it's not it's uh, like common, going yeah. to a back alley yeah. and trying to exchange money <laughs> with this random guy. Uh, it's, it's very formal. People do it all, all around, and that, that adjusts. Um, but the, the bank has their own parallel market rate <laughs> that they do that's huh. about 10000 less than the unofficial parallel market rate that people right. use. And it's just mind-boggling because certain taxes are using this rate, if you try to pull your uh, Lebanese Lira out of the bank, it's gonna be a different rate. And if you try to do something else, it's gonna be at this rate. Mm. And it's, it's just conf- confusing and confounding.
6: And that official rate would benefit in my mind. It would seem like if money was coming through the official channels, it would have to go through the official rate. So that would be to like maybe be an attempt to try and refill the coffers at the central bank to try and eventually fix things.
7: Well, possibly. So, okay. so, my understanding of it is that there were uh, lots of debts taking out, sure, taking okay. out at the official rate. Got it. And so, if the the central bank was to just all of a sudden change the rate from one thousand five hundred to fifteen thousand, or to forty five thousand, or to a hundred thousand, friends.
0: My dad works in B two B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man.
8: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest
7: love the connection to people I think at the core what I get excited about what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted unvarnished way
8: is getting to to say something to them hear back from them know that I'm part of the routine and I look forward to getting on the air I look forward to it in these exciting times we're looking to the math the strategy and analytics and the magic the creative spark more than ever Listen to math and magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. They'd be owning the
7: loss, yeah, uh, of those debts. Yeah, the lender gets, uh, gets screwed in that case. Exactly, yeah. and so they don't want to own the loss, sure, because depending on who whose perspective you are listening to, it's not their fault, sure, uh, you know, or maybe it is their fault. Depends on who who you talk to, who you listen to, uh, and so. But they're but they're not going to own the complete. Uh, mm-hmm. version of that. So uh, again, the, the sad thing is that the people who are suffering the most are the people whose money is held in the bank that they can't access at the parallel yeah. market rate. So they're the ones that are suffering the most. Now it, it's, it goes beyond that too,
6: or at least it did at one point. Cause I remember you telling me at one point, people were literally robbing banks in order to yes. just get their deposits out. So not only can you not get it at the official rate, you couldn't even get it at all up mm-hmm. to the amount that you wanted. Nope. And so people, you're, you know,
7: it's called robbing, I guess they're robbing banks, but it's their money. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like to call it, my friends I would call it dramatic withdrawals. <laughs> because a lot of these people weren't even actually armed. Uh, oh, okay. But they'd go into, the, some of them were, or some of them were like sure. toy guns, I, I don't know. And uh, again, the crazy thing about it is that the the bank employees aren't the bad guys in this right. situation. Yeah. And so a lot of times, many of them would even want to help the depositor out. <laughs> uh, and so it would be dramatic though, because yeah. uh, to my knowledge, no one actually got hurt in this process. Okay. It would be people who would uh, make a big scene about it. Maybe they would have a gun, maybe they wouldn't have a gun mm-hmm. uh, and would demand their money. And, and pretty much always, so uh, unlike, I think, the way we think about uh, bank robber robberies here in the US mm-hmm. where it's like someone who's it's the the movie bank robbery of yeah. the, the person who's just greedy and just wants to get more money for themselves these people a lot of times are coming in as you said it's their own money in the account mm-hmm. they're just trying to pull it out at the previous value what it used to be yeah. valued at uh, and they they want to do it because their their dad is in the hospital and has this surgery that needs to happen but it costs fifteen thousand dollars. And they're, the money they have at home is only worth $500. Hmm. And so, they. but they used to have, like I, I know a guy who used to have $100,000 saved up and now that $100,000 is worth less than $10,000. Wow. Uh, and that's uh, the buying power as we talked about. You yep. Know? yep, um And so, the, the people couldn't uh, withdraw their, their money at the parallel market value. Uh, apologies, if this is too confusing. Uh, no. All these different terminologies. Um, they couldn't use the buying power Uh, money at that rate. So they'd go in and make a, as I call it, dramatic withdrawal uh, to do it. And it was at one point where it was happening multiple times a day. They were kind of organizing this. There's a group mm-hmm. of, they call it the Depositors Association, was going around and, and organizing wow. the four banks at a time all across the country <laughs> where it was happening at. And uh, again, pretty much always it was in a nonviolent yeah. manner. Uh, maybe it was dramatic with some fire or something like that that yeah. they were using, but it was just people, and usually the bank tellers were sympathetic towards them. And, uh, rarely did anyone come away with the entire amount uh mm-hmm. but a lot of times people actually did get uh half the amount they requested or a certain amount and yeah. and that was one of the really intriguing things about this that was confusing to me again as a foreigner still trying to learn culture uh, mm-hmm. etc uh, of the Arab world but if you would want to discourage this from continuing to happen you should probably do something to not let them get their money or or, or mm-hmm. whatnot but then if if the leaders did that; they would probably incite an even bigger revolt. Yeah. And so they're trying to delicately, okay, let's right. give them some, but not all of it. And uh, here we are. Yeah, it still happens from time to time. Well, this is all. I mean, this is all like really fascinating to me
6: because I spend a lot of time explaining the mechanics of uh, of these kind of things, um, like. Uh, and then also looking from like a historical perspective, so um, the extreme examples of hyperinflation in history yeah. are like the Weimar Republic in Germany, and most recently like Venezuela yeah. and Zimbabwe and stuff. Now, or at least at a certain point in the last couple of years, Lebanon was at number one in the world in terms of the inflation rate. Yeah. So I spent a lot of times a lot of time trying to explain the mechanics of how these things happen and what that what are the downstream effects of that because it's not just that prices get Uh, you know, things get more expensive. Yeah, That's like the surface level symptom. And there's a million downstream effects of that, um, that, uh, that I kind of like to get into here. So um, can you talk about the, like the, the, the energy situation? Like we, before we talked about like gasoline and food and Uh electricity, things like that. And you may not think that those are you know, related to the inflation. But when you track them all together, it's like, now these are feedback loops that feed in on each
7: other. So can you talk about the energy situation? Yeah, so think about if you're, uh, so Lebanon has uh, natural beauty. Tourism is a big industry in Lebanon. Uh, However, they don't have a bunch of natural resources that they can access for their own energy. Uh, so a lot of times they're, they're bringing in uh, oil to be able to supply energy and gas for the, their own country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so think of, of yourself if you're another country and you were formerly getting paid in Lira because it was pegged to the dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now all of a sudden you're like, no, I don't want Lira anymore. I want dollars. Mm. And then, But these companies are like, but we have Lira and it's quickly losing value. So the trickle down effect, as you were saying, our, our first summer there, summer of 2021, we went through uh, an electricity crisis and a uh, gas petrol crisis for vehicles, among other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trickle-down effect is that uh, the uh, the electricity and situa- situation in Lebanon is pretty broken in the sense that they're reliant on a lot of private generators uh, for neighborhoods to run. Mm. And so, uh, listener, imagine with me, if you can, living in an apartment as we do, but only having 15 amps uh, at a time uh, of electricity, which 15 amps is like, we can run one big AC and maybe the microwave at the same okay. time. Uh, a lot of times if we're trying to heat the water, which takes about seven amps at a time, and you need to, we can't just keep our hot water on all the time. Hmm. So we try it in the morning, we'll turn it on for about two or three hours. So that takes about seven amperes uh, of electricity. Uh, and then you'd run your washing machine, which at the hot cycle would get up to about eight or nine uh, amps as well. Okay. I'd have to turn the hot water off because yeah. it would shut the whole apartment down. Uh, hmm. and if we run in a, if we're running the big AC in our living room, we can't also have the hot water, uh, heating at a time. Hmm. So you got to pick and choose, uh, which appliances you're using. And we're like, we're in the top 5% of people in the country. Yeah. Most of the people are, are that a lot of people are, are, only, uh, have about five amps at a time. So you can't even have, uh, one of wow. the, most people have fridges that take more than five amps, at least to kick on. Yeah. Uh, because the newer ones are, are better, but the older ones uh, are, are not so much. So they don't have a working fridge. They only have fans and lights and like outlets to charge their phones is basically hmm. what a lot of people in the country have access to. And they still have to pay $100 a month for those five amps that aren't even on all day. It's only on 16 hours a day or so. Hmm. So uh, sidebar, back to se- uh, summer of 2021, uh, these private generators were in that loop of their buying power was lessening. Right. And so, therefore, they didn't have enough money to buy the, uh, buy the, uh, oh man, the English word is failing me now. Uh, by <laughs> buying the, uh, the, the type of gas that is mazot, uh, is what we say in Arabic, but it's uh, diesel. Diesel? Okay. Yes. Uh, buy the diesel for their generators. So they didn't have enough money to buy the diesel for their generators. Okay. So all of a sudden, the amount of electricity they could provide is greatly reduced. Right. So we went a couple of months, of only having electricity about 15 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and the the craziest part, and a lot of people still live that way now. We were able to, because we have some means, we were able to get some systems to, to help give a, a couple of amps at least so we can have electricity all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, so you would have to plan when you charge your devices hmm. and hope that you weren't caught in the three hour stretch in the middle of the afternoon from 12 to 3 where you didn't have electricity. Where, oops, I forgot to, <laughs> to charge my phone. Now it's dead. I can't do anything about that because I don't have electricity again until 3 o'clock. And then it's on for two hours. Then it's off again for two hours. Then it's back on. Yeah. And so that was a pretty stressful time for all of the country people that were going through that kind of thing. Um, so that was the electricity crisis and it took a while for them to catch up. And eventually the generator owners just started to say, pay us in dollars because oh. we don't want to get paid in lira anymore. Yeah. Uh, cause of the fluctuation. Yeah. And so then the, the, where, hats, they,
6: where do you get the dollars from now then? <laughs> or, yeah, or that's a great yeah. question.
7: That's great. And yeah. that was a big, that was a big issue yeah. back in the day of how could we get the dollars because banks weren't providing dollars. The, uh, it, the dollars and still in the country today, the dollars come from tourists who come. Oh, I, really? I saw most yeah, of them, most of them. Okay. Yep. So I saw recently that they're projecting a um, 1.8 million tourists in Lebanon this summer, hmm. which is the highest it's been ever since the pre-COVID times. Hmm. Uh, so good for the economy, hopefully, because uh, that's their main source of income, and that's the that the where the, most of their dollars come in. Okay. So. Same thing the private generators were going through, the gas stations were going through as well. Mm. And so you, we had a summer where there were super long lines at gas stations and the the worst part of it for me was one week I spent 17 hours waiting in lines at, uh, I mean, it's like a part-time job, right? Yeah. 17 hours waiting in gas lines. And the most depressing part of it for me was that half the time I was waiting, because I would usually, how it would go, is I'd get up at 4 a.m., I'd drive mm. to a gas line and I'd park my car. And the gas station wouldn't open until 8 a.m. So I'd wait in there. I'd try to sleep some, or if I had a buddy that was also waiting in gas lines, we'd chat. They'd maybe serve some uh, Arabic tea in the morning for us to drink together, Uh, and we'd wait. And we would hope that the gas station would open that day. Hmm. But half the time, it didn't even open because they would announce at 8 a.m. that they didn't have gas. Uh, and uh, usually when I got there at 4 a.m., I was car number 75 to 100 in line Jeez. at 4 a.m., because people started parking their car the night before, or even the afternoon before, just waiting and hoping that the gas station would open, and then they would either leave and just walk away from it or something like that. So that happened. Uh, that was the worst week of mine was 17 hours, but for most of the summer, it was at least a couple of hours I was waiting in gas mm-hmm. lines, uh, and it was, uh, and they would rarely fill your whole tank up, they would only give you a quarter uh, mm-hmm. tank of gas, uh, and that was just—it was just a trickle-down effect because they didn't have the dollars to be able to buy yeah. gas uh, uh, from the suppliers, mm-hmm. and so they would only be able to secure a little bit, and then yeah. they'd run through whoever was in line and lucky enough to to get through before they ran out. And a lot of times, if they opened at eight, they'd run out by noon mm-hmm. or by one o'clock, and then you were just out of luck if you were car number two hundred in line and. Uh, that was the most frustrating if you were car number 200 oh, I imagine. and they cut it off at 199 yeah. and you were the next car in line and they were like, sorry, we're out. It's just, uh, all that time. That was really frustrating. That happened to me at least once as well.
6: Oh man. Okay. So there are three economic, uh, I don't, maybe I shouldn't say laws, but principles that were woven throughout what you were just talking about. Yeah. Um, Number one is scarcity versus abundance. Mm -hmm. It's like um, the kind of the default state that mankind has to work our way out of is scarcity. Mm -hmm. And mismanagement returns us from abundance to scarcity. Like, obviously, if we decided to just eat all of our animals this year, all of them, we wouldn't have any animals left over to make the next generation of animals and yep. we'd all starve, right? Yep. So, um, mismanagement can take you from abundance to, to back to scarcity. And the reason why that popped in my head is because you were talking about waiting in line and I like had this idea of like, um, Maybe that does, maybe this doesn't happen so much anymore, but I remember maybe like 10 years ago, people would like camp outside of Apple for the iPhone yeah. or
7: for New Chick fil A opening.
6: <laughs> yeah, New Chick fil A opening or, yeah, um, the, what's the night before uh, or after Thanksgiving? Uh, um, Black Friday. Black Friday. Yeah. People would camp out of Best Buy and, you know, yeah, waiting for these yeah. deals. So people would, uh, you know, for, for abundance, yeah. the, for abundance sake, would spend time, you know, doing this. And it's kind of like that same thing, but it's motivated by, you know, trying to you know not be in that in scarcity it's like yep.
7: can i even just survive um which is terrifying and if i can add to that yeah. as well the the scarcity mindset uh of can i just survive also it impacts um it impacts your your like freedom of movement as well hmm. because all of a sudden you're saying am i going to be able to get gas next week oh right therefore can i make this trip yeah. to the beach uh, and in the end, take... maybe it would have, you You could have, but you decided not to. Because you didn't know. Because you didn't know. Is the country going to have gas next week? And so yeah. that's just another layer of stress that people uh, to are with. living under, or more previously were living under. There's plenty of gas in the country now. It's a lot more expensive. Sure. Because it used to be subsidized by the government okay. uh, to make it a lot cheaper. Uh, and then, obviously, they uh, that was part of the uh, thing that was losing money for yeah. the country and all that. So they've reverted, they've reverted and they've taken the cap off. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's it's the at cost now, mm-hmm. uh, but then the poor people can't really afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you have people that don't own cars because they can't afford gas mm-hmm. uh, uh, or the repairs, which are in dollars. Um, yeah. And so they just don't own it. Wow. Um,
6: so, okay, so that hits on the second principle then, which is the short-term versus long-term thinking. Yeah. And um, there's this idea was popular, popularized by an artist, uh, an artist, an author named safety and who writes about Bitcoin a lot. Um, but uh, he talks about the, the short term versus long term mindset and identifies how when um, the thinking is or when the when the money is strong and when it's sound and the value of the money doesn't change. That allows people to maximize their long-term thinking, yeah, um, and the planning. You don't have to. You don't have to deal with the uncertainty and the worrying yeah. about like um, you know focusing on what the money is going to do. Yeah, it's just there as the the subconscious store of value and transfer of value, and you can go a- along like planning actual life. Yeah, um, but the worse the money is, then the more your focus and attention has to be on that, and it displaces yeah. the actual productivity
7: yep um did you have something to add on to that yeah Uh, just to speak to that man that there's not a lot of long-term thinking happening in lebanon right now the the main long-term thinking that people are are uh, dreaming about and i I ask people a lot because i'm a dreamer myself uh i ask people what are your dreams what are your hopes almost everybody to a person is going to say to leave lebanon Mm -hmm. that's their that's their hope uh i i know lots of people who once they graduate uh college graduate university they they are trying to get jobs in europe trying mm. to get jobs in the gulf uh so that they can leave and get out of there um which is is really sad because lebanon's such a beautiful country the people are mm. really uh wonderful by and large uh to get along rich with history a uh, rich history yeah um and so many good things uh about lebanon uh but everyone wants to leave yeah
6: well, that's another downstream effect. Is uh, have you have you heard the term brain drain? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm sure. Um, that uh, uh, that's like a another like a third order effect. It's like one of the things that would at least maybe help solve this problem is hardworking smart people yeah. working on it. And it's yeah. like you've created conditions that. Get rid of precisely the people you need to fix it. So it's a a reinforcing, you know, a negative cycle, like a downward spiral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and the people who don't leave, by and large, may be the ones who can't, Mm -hmm. which means they also don't have the means to do anything about making the situation better. Yeah. Yeah.
7: There are some people that stay because they love their, their country. Or, or yeah. one of the really challenging things also that I've, I've witnessed friends of mine who are Lebanese who are just have to make the heartbreaking decision is that uh, most of the people who can't leave are the the elderly, mm. are people oh, who yeah. you know uh, they because all of their savings were in the bank yeah. uh, and they weren't working for global companies. They mm-hmm. were working for their local uh, local companies, yeah. and they their retirement was banked on uh, you know what was happening uh, in the country at the time. Mm. Uh, and so I see people. I'm, I'm 35 years old. I see people who are in my same age demographic with young kids and they're literally feeling like they have to decide, and and I can see how they feel that way, between their kid's future, which they don't feel like there's a future in Lebanon for Mm -hmm. their kids, or caring for their elderly parents. Mm. And it is just a heart-wrenching decision that they yeah. have to make uh, because the, the family is such an important aspect of the Arab culture mm-hmm. uh, of caring for family, living together. Many of them live in the same, maybe even same building where they're all kind of you know in, in each other's lives uh, a lot. And that's just such a rich part of their culture and they, they're, they're forced to decide, do I stay and care for my el- elderly parents, continue the, the tradition, of uh, loving my family and sticking together or do i try to give my kids a better future and and hope there's actually there's a certain people who have had the means to do it uh who maybe either they they saw what was coming or they just wanted to give their kids more opportunities so uh early on in their marriage they went and lived in in canada or the u.s or Hmm. europe had babies over there so their kids had dual citizenship yeah and then moved back to lebanon always with this kind of get out of jail free card right. uh, yeah. in their back pockets. And a lot of people are using it now. Yeah. Uh, once they get to uh, out of, uni- uh, like actually not out of university, they go to university in Canada, or the U S or mm-hmm. Europe. Um, and uh, they, they do it there cause they have dual citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
6: Um, the, the third, or I guess now we're on the fourth principle that you talked about that, uh, that I noticed was when it's called, have you heard of Gresham's law? I haven't no uh it's bad money drives out good money Hmm. so um when like this is been identified happening as early as the roman empire they would you know they would say hey there's counterfeiters that are counterfeiting the coins so you all have to turn in your coins we're going to melt it down and make new coins that are you know they're going to be one ounce again same as before Um, and that way it'll stop the counterfeiters and then what people noticed was as the new coins started coming out yes they were 1 ounce but it wasn't 1 ounce of pure silver or pure gold mm. it was mixed with other metals okay. so now the government the king the empire the whoever had a ton of extra purchasing power because they just made you know 2 million coins out of 1 million coins yeah so anybody who hadn't yet turned in their old coins they save them and they hoard them because if you have to, if you're faced between spending the old good money or the new bad money, you're going to spend the old bad money Mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, the new bad money. Okay. And you're going to try and keep and hold on to the old money that was good. Yeah. Um, and so every it's there, there's this idea of like, you know, you're, you're going to try and get as much of the good money as possible and try and get rid of as much of the bad money as possible. Mm. Um, and one of the ways that pops up that I noticed you talking about was people who have the ability to do so moving from um, lira to dollars. Yeah. Whenever the opportunity arose, it was like, all right, well, we're not, we're just, we're not going to accept lira anymore because nobody wants to accept it from us. And so, if we're going to survive, we can't accept it from you. Yeah. And so it drives um, drives people towards only wanting to take the good money, and eventually, it stabilizes with the whole. Culture, the whole people, starting to use the good money, um, or I should say, the harder money, the stronger yeah. money, um, and uh, and so that that's something I noticed you talking about was that there's a there's a move to a harder currency that starts at the ground level that didn't start top down that's mm-hmm. that was a, that's a ground level movement. People starting to use dollars more.
7: Yeah. Well, here's here's a tragic uh, example of the how this impacts the most marginalized people in the country mm. is that. Uh, I, I didn't realize uh, at the time, you know, that, that operating, at least even in a mental state, in multiple currencies is, is kind of like a privileged position to be in, to have the global mindset to know multiple currencies, mm-hmm. to know the real value of multiple currencies. And so, just the math, just, right? math. Just being able to do that math. Exactly, and stay on stay on top of it. So uh, part of my work in the NGO is trying to train uh, up entrepreneurs and trying to help people start their own small businesses that will mm-hmm. help them thrive in this unstable uh, economy. Um, and so I have the privilege of coaching this dynamic woman uh, who is a, a, a seamstress and, and a great uh, person who sews things. So uh, she lives in, in a part of the country, though, that is, is not in the capital city. And so it's kind of out in uh, more of the rural uh, parts. And what I didn't realize is that when uh, she had some money and she was making some money, uh, I tried to encourage her, hey, try to change into working w- with dollars. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was six, nine months ago. Um, so she uh, took a, a $20 bill for one of the things that she was uh, selling, a dress that she'd made. And when she went to a money exchanger to try to exchange it back into Lira so that she could use it to mm-hmm. buy certain things, the money exchangers uh, laughed at her. And she's from one of the more marginalized communities. And that's either one of two reasons. Uh, Either one, someone gave her a counterfeit uh, $20 bill. Mm. And it never crossed my mind that maybe she hasn't dealt in U.S. dollars and wouldn't be able to identify a counterfeit versus a true $20 bill. Or she was just discriminated against by the money changers who Mm. didn't want to serve her. And, And they... Didn't have to. Like, there's no legal recourse for discrimination mm-hmm. uh, in Lebanon uh, mm-hmm. against marginalized communities over there. And so she uh, just, her, her husband counselor at that point, uh, sadly, you know, don't deal with dollars, just stay with lira. And he, she did that. And this was right before the currency dropped from 50 to 100. And so she lost mm-hmm. half the value of the money she'd been saving up um, because she wouldn't switch to dollars. And mm-hmm. yet I, as I, as I sit here, you know, trying to think of how to coach her. Well, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit, okay, what, what do I do? Because is she going to get discriminated against? Is she going to get counterfeit money? How do I train her to identify counterfeit when she's mm-hmm. never dealt with this in her entire life? Yeah. Uh, someone like you or me, Joe, we could spot a counterfeit, you know, but, uh, cause they wouldn't be good counterfeits probably over yeah. there. Uh, but, how could she learn something like that? So this is one of the complex complexities yeah. uh, of uh, working with marginalized communities uh, in Lebanon right now that I wasn't aware of before. Yeah, yeah,
6: it, just another uh, just another example of how how it uh, how it negatively impacts so many people in unexpected ways. Yeah. that like now you have to think about hey, we've got a big portion of the population that. Um, I mean, I don't know what the education system is or has been like there, but, but doing that math is not, you know, it's, it's not, it's not calculus, but it's not, you know, it's, it takes focused effort and you have to have some level of, uh, of math capabilities. And then, yeah, like you said, identifying counterfeits or things like that. That's, uh, that's crazy. Um, Okay. So. I would like to move into kind of, you've you've made a comment a couple of times that now it seems like things are starting to stabilize a little bit, Mm -hmm. maybe start to move in the right direction. And um, who knows a, how long it'll last or how far it'll go. But one of the examples that you gave was um, when we were talking a few days ago was uh, cr- like cards being accepted again. Yeah. Um, and that's something a lot of people would never think about that you couldn't swipe a credit card yeah. to buy stuff. Yep. And now that's that's like back. It's like a modern oh, luxury. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs>
7: yeah. So so imagine uh, imagine you know you're you're having a hundred dollar bill here in the U S right and that's uh depending on what your spending power is here maybe that's a lot maybe that's not a lot a uh, hundred dollar bill is still a lot to me i feel like i can do a lot with a hundred dollar bill uh but imagine the hundred dollar bill being worth basically having the spending power of a one dollar bill mm. uh but that's the largest currency that we have in the u.s uh i think uh, i don't know if we have any two hundred dollar bills or five hundred dollar bills or thousand dollar bills uh not to my knowledge but it looks like you're thinking i'm not sure if we do I, th- I think uh, they're just not in. Oh, they're not in circulation. They're not. Yes. Yeah, okay. Popular, yeah. Anyway, Lebanon similarly has a hundred thousand dollar lira, uh, and so but that's worth basically the spending power of a one dollar bill. Hmm. So if I wanted to go to the grocery store, which has shifted their prices to reflect more what a normal grocery store bill would be. Mm -hmm. Feeding my family of five, I might spend $100 on groceries, Mm -hmm. you know, for that week, $150, something like that. So I'd literally need a 100 to 150 of these $100,000 bills, bills, Lira bills. And so you're standing there at the counter, and you're counting out, oh. uh, okay, one, two, three, four, 45, 46, 67, 68, 89, 90, 91, 92, Jeez. you know. And then they are counting as well. And so there's a line forming behind you. And it's kind of embarrassing, especially if you didn't bring enough in your wallet that day. Oh. And the so your, prices changed that day. <laughs> prices changed that day. Or maybe I just forgot the bigger stack at home. I brought mm. the smaller stack. And so I need to take a couple of these uh, more expensive items off. That was a very stressful part Hmm. of uh, life, grocery shopping and doing that kind of thing because, yeah, we couldn't use our credit card uh, or anything. So recently, uh, Lebanon has uh, been able to accept international credit cards at certain places, not Mm -hmm. everywhere, uh, but at certain grocery stores, at certain kind of international um, stores Mm -hmm. things like that
6: app and search the bright side
0: imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions i'm Mini driver
8: And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
7: credit cards. Uh, so that, that works for people, uh, like myself, a foreigner living yeah. in Lebanon that has dollars to bring in. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but for the locals who maybe have a Lebanese bank account, mm-hmm. uh, they're still restricted in their spending power. And a lot like of times, the daily limits, the daily limits, okay. exactly. And maybe they have a Lebanese bank account credit card. Uh, but a lot of grocery stores will only accept half the payment in mm-hmm. local credit card. And the other half has to be in cash um hmm. because of the different exchange rates and the amount that the bank will release to the people every day yeah. and it is just so confusing um so that has lessened the stress for the haves mm-hmm. like myself who uh have access to uh dollars which is a harder currency uh but still the the marginalized suffer in yeah. the country that's that i mean that's it's a different way of it manifesting,
6: but it's the same thing that I've you know studied that happened in Zimbabwe, Venezuela, Weimar Republic in Germany. It's um, uh, like, especially in the extremes of hyperinflation, when prices are changing on a daily or sometimes an hourly basis, yeah. people will go try and get their daily allowance of cash from the bank, yeah. which is way less than they have in the bank. They go over to the grocery store to buy the thing they were gonna buy, which is maybe a loaf of bread. They've got their wheelbarrow of cash yep. and prices changed right before they got there. So it's not enough, but now they've already taken out their max cash for the day. Yeah. Tomorrow they can go get some more, but prices will be even higher tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so it's a it's a similar similar thing. It's like, yeah, in, in today's day and age, we're, we're not really seeing wheelbarrows full of cash. Yeah. Um, but electronically that's what's, that's what's happening that like, mm-hmm. you know, your ATM limit or your debit card limit or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, interesting. So, um, this, this is a bit, probably a big question that needs to be broken down, but, um, well, how do, how are people surviving? Like I know in other countries, Man. it's a lot of remittances and yeah. things like that, like family members. So what what is the average person doing there to make ends
7: meet and survive and not just die of starvation? Yep. That's a great question. I ask myself that question a lot because uh, I wonder also how there's a, a super large population of uh, marginalized people, the most poor, that uh, don't have as much access to remittances. And one, I'd say there's two answers to that question. Number one, the largest, uh, the largest uh, how would you say this? So, so the, the highest percentage of the GDP mm-hmm. of Lebanon is remittances. Oh, it's wow. 60 plus percent of the okay. GDP is, is uh, remittances each year. Wow. Um, and so it, it, it is people in South and Latin and North America, especially some in Europe, uh, that are sending cash back. Because over the last hundred years, there's been a lot of people who have left uh, Lebanon mm-hmm. and moved to other places, started families. There are famous people who have a Lebanese heritage, like Shakira uh, oh. and Selma Hayek. Yep. Okay. Uh, have Lebanese heritage. And I don't know if they're sending money back, but uh, (laughs) they, they have Lebanese heritage. And by and large, Lebanese tend to be successful entrepreneurs when they move to other places. Um, oh, okay. the ones that, that make it, uh, yeah. over there, there, there are a lot of successful, um, my, my wife, her grandfather, uh, was 11 is, was Lebanese. He's, uh, passed away, but, uh, and his, his father was the one that moved to, uh, the United States and started a grocery store that, mm. uh, that carried on and was successful and served the community in, in a great way for decades. Mm. Um, so anyway, Lots of people send money back to Lebanon. And I'd say that's how the normal Lebanese uh, person who used to have a pretty good life mm-hmm. uh, now is surviving. I read an article about somebody who was a, uh, you know, used to make X amount of thousands of dollars each month. Uh, and now they make just enough to cover a grocery bill of the month. Mm-hmm. But they rely on remittances from their child who's living in uh, Canada to pay rent mm-hmm. and to pay their utilities. And wow. so that's how, how they're surviving. And I'd say that's probably the story of most Lebanese. The second way I'd answer that is that the uh, Arab culture is very communal based mm. uh, and rely on each other to survive. Uh, and so I uh, as, as someone who grew up in North America, I have, tend to have an, an individualist mindset. I need to mm-hmm. pick myself up from, uh, you know, like if I fall down and pick myself up yeah. and make my own way. Uh, that's not always the case in, in the Arab world. People are thinking about how can we care for each other? How can mm-hmm. we lean into each other really well? And I've seen some beautiful examples uh, of that, of people who are in a really hard situation and then their community rallies around them uh, to help them out. Is that mostly like family and extended family or even bigger than that, like city, town? Yeah, well, there's actually a lot of refugees in Lebanon right now. Okay. And so I think refugees take care of each other as mm-hmm. well. People who are in uh, situations that are are just not, not, not as... Uh, yeah. If they don't have families around, mm-hmm. they lean on other people who are in the same status uh, yeah. as they are. Okay. Uh, and just doing it in a way that yeah, is like inspiring to me. Yeah. Tribal okay. tribal
6: type uh, approach. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And again, it's like, I I, I was, I don't know whether there was a documentary I was watching or something, but it was uh, people that were being interviewed in Venezuela. Same kind of story. They're like, you know, I, the income that I make is enough for you know groceries for one week, yeah. and you know my my son or fi- some family member is you know sending dollars in for the rest. Yeah. Um, one thing I w- I would like to ask about that though about the the remittances is, is um, specifically in uh, El Salvador. This is a big story over the last couple of years. Their GDP is you know mostly money getting sent in. Mm. Um because of the way money transfers, like traditionally across borders, if I send a yeah. dollar, the family member gets maybe 25 cents of that and it's like a month later. Oh wow. Um, Cause it has to go through so many bureaucracies and borders yeah. and well, uh, what's the Western union and yep. things like that. And so um, people there have started to use Bitcoin mm-hmm. um, for instant transfers and no fees. Um, have you seen any um, any anything like you know people using alternative forms of money like gold or silver or Bitcoin for either payments or storing their savings or receiving money from outside of the country? Anything like that? I've
7: heard some stories of that happening, but by and large, the people I interact with are not uh, are not the early adopters uh, for okay. <laughs> for Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, I think of the they call them uh, khadiaras or khataira. Uh, they're okay. old people, the elderly people oh, gotcha. okay. uh, in the country. They're they're not going to be the yeah. early adopters. it's for like our, our boomers. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're not going to jump on the Bitcoin train. Okay. Uh, and so uh, I, I think it is happening uh, at a ground level, mm. uh, but not with most people that I'm interacting with. Uh, okay. They're not. They're not doing that. So I think, yeah, probably the Western Union traditional things. Uh, I think it's a higher uh, Western Union takes less than that, but it's still not the most advantageous. There are better ways that probably will win the day mm-hmm. uh, eventually in Lebanon, uh, but not there yet by and large. The, okay. the younger demographic I'm, I'm thinking probably does use stuff like Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, but so far, uh, there. I mean. There's some people who are, are literally, if they're crossing land borders from Lebanon to other places, uh, they're using drivers where mm-hmm. they'll give them uh, a wad of yeah. cash and they'll take it across the border to other places that are, are suffering as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's happening as well in People bringing in money through flying in, people, sure. especially in a tourism season when family members are coming yeah. uh, to visit their their parents and grandparents, they're probably bringing cash with them and leaving it with their yeah. uh, family members. Uh, but money transfers definitely is a, a part of it as well.
6: With cards now being accepted, I'm sure that that will help the situation out if one of the on-the-ground problems is a shortage of dollars and people yeah. selling things. Even like the people who are most in poverty, I would imagine their jobs are kind of like daily tasks, and yeah. it's like I'm going to do what I can or sell what I can uh, in order to try and earn dollars. The more dollars can come into the country, that that should help the the situation out. Hopefully,
7: okay. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. I, I a lot of people have a lot of really smart ideas about how to uh, you know help the situation. Moving forward, we'll see what happens. No yeah. one knows uh, the twists and turns that that are to come. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully for the better.
6: What about um, like the I don't I don't remember the word that you said for the for the old people.
7: Yeah.
6: <laughs> uh, you know. Okay, no, I, won't, I won't try. <laughs> it's like old man, old woman. Okay, all right. Um, the, was, is there a big culture of saving or storing your wealth in like gold or silver? Like in India and China, that's pretty big. Like they pass their wealth down through like jewelry and yes. things
7: like that. Is that. Is that over there in Lebanon at all? Yeah, I, I think so. Okay. I, uh, if people like uh, my wife, she had an Arabic uh, language tutor who, um, yeah, gold was her thing. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a status. Like, you you have gold jewelry, you have gold and okay. that kind of thing. So yeah. that definitely is a part of the culture. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I don't necess- I'm not the most observant person in the world. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't necessarily notice all the gold jewelry that sure, the women yeah. are wearing or men Well, might, might be, be locked up too. It yeah. could be locked up as well actually in these days it probably yeah. is locked up uh, <laughs> because of how hard the situation is. Yeah. Yeah. Um
6: all right. And then uh, for the last uh, for the last section, um, I'd like to hear more about what you are doing there, because I know obviously, you know, throughout this conversation, you're there trying to help. Um, And so what are what are some I don't want to say the biggest needs. It's I think that's a bad question. Yeah. What are some of the addressable needs Mm -hmm. um, that you're there uh, doing and like the vision you have to see that you get like you know, achievable type of things that you're there to do. Um, And then we'll get into how anybody else might be able to help too. Yeah.
7: Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Uh, I I work with an NGO uh, that's an American NGO, but it partners uh, through local NGOs on the ground uh, to provide help in uh, kind of some business livelihoods and health and education, uh, different uh, opportunities. And so for me in particular, I'm doing social entrepreneurship trainings uh, and also mm-hmm. uh, sport clinics uh, for okay. youth uh, because one of the big problems is that it, is hopelessness in Lebanon. Mm. People don't have hope for the future. And unfortunately, and, and when you don't have hope, uh, maybe you turn to things that aren't good, whether it's yeah. drugs, whether it's, you know, uh, acts of violence, things like yeah. that. Uh, and so… using sports is something I have in my background to be Mm. able to give people opportunities to get their adrenaline going you know get those endorphins going give them more they'll have more as you said before maybe some more uh, capacity to dream for the Mm. future so running sport clinics then also running these social entrepreneurship trainings where I I try to train everybody that even if you're in the most marginalized uh, position there's two you should have two bottom lines for your business one is to be profitable and one is to how you can invest in the community around you and help build up the community around you Mm -hmm. uh, to be a blessing to the people around you. Uh, And so anyone that I train, I I try to help them think because I'd say something that uh, you've touched on this already, abundance versus scarcity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think some of that is a mindset. Uh, there's obviously harsh realities. Uh, but there's also, if we approach all of life with scarcity mindset, then we're just going to be greedy all the time. Yeah. And we're going to take, take, take. But if, uh, you know, I, am a person of faith and if I, I try to lean into, to my faith and I believe that, okay, there could be abundance out there. Uh, maybe it's not always monetary abundance, but there could be an abundance of joy or an abundance of hope or an abundance of different things. So I want, the people that I train in entrepreneurship to approach their business with that kind of mentality of I want to run my business in such a way that there's enough for me and there's enough for my community. Mm-hmm. And so I can help provide jobs. I can help provide, uh, you know, ways to serve the community around me uh, in that way. And so that's that's the the work that I'm involved in uh, right now in Lebanon. It's very, very rewarding. It's it, Life can be really hard mm-hmm. in Lebanon, although it's a beautiful country. So anyone, uh, come, we say in Arabic, uh, come, welcome. You're welcome to come check it out. Uh, tourist season is happening right now. It's a mm-hmm. beautiful place to come and, and check out. Uh, you can go skiing uh, in the morning and uh, swimming in the Mediterranean in the afternoon. It's one of their <laughs> claimed to touristic things. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're really trying to invest in the marginalized communities to, to work with them, uh, mm-hmm. to be able to uh, help them pursue their dreams, help them pursue uh, holistic thriving for them.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said about the abundance sometimes being a mindset or um, maybe even like a choice, because ultimately, when you look at the resources on this earth and in the universe – we have like unlimited abundance. Like there's unlimited energy. There's unlimited yeah. raw resources, right? So yeah. the bottleneck is like people turning it into something that's useful. Yeah. Um, and so, in some ways, abundance is you know the you know a, a series of choices to take from you know what right now looks like scarcity because of the bottleneck and turn it into uh, into abundance. So
7: yeah. Well, if you think about. Uh, a, A real serious problem right now in Lebanon is trauma. Uh, because mm. there's trauma of people that has gone unaddressed from decades ago when there was a civil war from mm. 1975 to 1990 there's there's trauma from that. and then even more recently there's trauma from the revolution there's yeah. trauma from the like cultural trauma crisis, of, cultural okay. trauma there was a big explosion that happened That's right, uh, in yeah. 2020 yeah. And so there's people that ha- literally have trauma from anytime there's fireworks going off you mm. know uh, there's a big earthquake that just happened a number of months ago uh. that happened up in in Turkey but uh, oh, okay. I was awakened at 2.30 a.m in uh, in my apartment. Oh, uh, wow. Wow. to the whole apartment shaking uh, down in Lebanon. It was that mm. far reaching and people were traumatized by that as well. So anyway, uh, when people have that uh, traumatized mindset, they often can't prioritize very well. Uh, I went through a training that talked about uh, people are traumatized and how you can help address that. And that was insightful for me it was that, that these people who from my privileged position, I might look at them and say, oh, why are you buying cigarettes again when your kids are hungry? Because, mm. you know, lots of people smoke uh, in uh, Lebanon. And, but it's because when you're, you're traumatized, I mean, one of the factors, not the only one, of course, but one of the factors is you have trouble prioritizing what are the most important things I should do with the little mm. money that I have. So uh, hopefully through our, our trainings, through the entrepreneurship training, through the sport clinics that I'm trying to, to do holistically. So it's not just be a better basketball player, but also mm-hmm. think of how you can be a better person for your community, mm-hmm. how you can sow goodness, sow hope into the people around you, that it can help change that mindset so they're prioritizing with an abundance mindset how we can be building up the people around us. And uh, it's, not, it's not just looking at the facts around you, but it's how can you be an agent of change for good Mm -hmm. uh, around you even if materially you don't have a lot. Now, you and I were talking before we started
6: recording, there's uh, something specific that uh, your organization is trying to do that will cost like $10,000 a year that you're trying to get
7: get started. Mm What yeah. is that? Uh, it's a community center. So trying to the, do a community a small, center. Okay. Yeah, trying to do a small community center uh, from which we can do the entrepreneurship classes, community okay. health classes, maybe some fitness classes, art classes, to do some creative art therapy. So some uh, of what you're doing right now plus more you need a center to be able to do exactly. that out of what you're just s- spread out right now? Like where currently we're trying to do it in people's apartments, oh, people gotcha. okay. co- coffee shops, things like that uh because we haven't raised the funds yet and we've been trying to get a foot in the some of the communities we're trying to invest in yeah Uh, but having a center from which we could uh, run these things would give us a much more official uh, Mm -hmm. presence in the community and i think it would be better received by the community as well so yeah Yeah. trying to raise uh, somewhere around ten thousand dollars a year to be Mm -hmm. able to uh, get this community center started gotcha
6: is, do do I do we have a link that I can put in the show notes yep, for that give, for anybody that who'd link. like to
7: donate to that? Yep, to my social okay. entrepreneurship uh, giving fund. Uh, people can put money in there and it can be used towards the community okay. center. Yeah, because one of the biggest problems that
6: like I think when the this was when the explosion happened, I believe um, there was there's quite a lot of media attention about that um, that I noticed there was a, a, a big desire by a lot of people to like send money to help. Yeah. And there's always that like nagging idea in the back of your mind, like, is this a real organization? Did they just pop up just now to take advantage of this? And they're just going to collect the money and run. Like, how do I know this money is going to, you know, do something that's actually going to be helping people. So, um, I think that's very helpful for anybody who wants to uh, make sure that your money is going to doing real things that it's not just. It's not going into a dictator's pocket or anything no. like that. This <laughs> is helping people start businesses that are
7: going to help them get themselves out of poverty and yeah. help their communities. Yep. Yeah. I'd uh, be honored for you guys to consider uh, any of you listeners uh, investing in in what we're doing over there. Okay. All right. We'll put that, uh, put that link in the show notes. And so,
6: uh, if any of you guys are interested below the episode in the notes, you might not see it. You have to click the expand button. Um, and it might not be hyperlinked. You might have to copy and paste it into your browser, but it'll be there. And then you can, uh, you can know that your money is going to help out people who really need it. So thank you so much. Very, uh, very interesting, fascinating stuff. It's sad to hear, but, um, there's always hope. And I'm really glad there's people like you over there trying to help out and and bring light to a place with a lot of darkness yeah appreciate you joe
3: thanks for the privilege
2: it's brand new season two